I entitled this morning's message, Remember Me, part four of Joshua. Remember, keep your hands up until you get a Bible. Our team is coming down the aisles right now. It takes them a little bit to get to you. So if you could be patient, that'd be great. Um, Remember Me, part four of Joshua. And I want to begin with a question, and it's this. What are the last five things that God has done for you? What are the last five miracles that God has wrought in your life? Do you have any idea what they are? What are the last five things God has done for you? Broken you, absolutely. We can go through and we will grab a couple. But is it possible that God has done something to you today? Is it possible that God did something with you yesterday? And is it possible that we've given him glory for none of it? I think back about all the things that God has done in my life, and I wonder how much glory I've ripped him off from. Because I just don't remember. Now, I don't know if it's just this generation or if it was all generations, but man, I have a hard time remembering anything. I feel like there's so much information overload as it's all jamming in my head. And the more information I get, it shoves out the other stuff. Right? And then all of a sudden, God does all these things, but I have all this doubt for today because I can't remember and have any faith because of yesterday. You see, I believe that in the pace and the way that we run our lives, God's just not getting the glory He deserves. So, I have a not fill-in-the-blank for you because the the fill-in-the-blank on your sheet is wrong. That's last week. That was my fault. So, I want you to write over the top of it. I want you to write this line, all right? And if you don't know how to spell it, sound it out phonetically. Here we go. An unmanaged life. And when I, mean, when I say unmanaged, I mean one that's not properly organized in the, for the best Outcome. An unmanaged life will naturally erase, will naturally erase God's glory. An unmanaged life will naturally erase God's glory. Why? Because it's so chaotic and messed up, you're just not going to hang on to it. When you enter into a new situation where it's scary, If you have forgotten what God did, you're going to be scared for the future. How many times have we read through the story of Israel and they're wandering in the desert and you see stuff like manna, a literal, absolute miracle? There's no way they could argue that it was some accident, right? I mean, it's clearly a miracle. And yet, it is not that many years later, even while manna is still in their midst, They're grumbling and complaining because they're all concerned that God's not providing for them. How does that work? Well, have you realized that a lot of your problems in life that are currently bothering you are because of answered prayers prior? Right? For example, Lord, why is this relationship so hard? Why does it seem like my spouse and I can't get on the same page? All right, you have a prayer request because one was answered last time, which was God give me a spouse. Yeah? God, this car is a piece of junk. It's always in the shop. But when you didn't have a car, what'd you pray for? You prayed for that car. It's almost all our prayer requests are because of prior blessings, but we don't remember those blessings. We only remember what is difficult now. 
In an unmanaged life, a life that is not managing God's glory, not keeping in mind God's glory, not remembering what the world He's doing in our lives, is going to start erasing our history with Him. Would you turn with me to Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, if you haven't already? It's page 153, and the Bible's handed to you. 153. Makes it a little bit faster. Joshua chapter 1. Just want to read verse 1 through 6. The first part of 6. And then we will uh, pray for the word and get started. Now remember as we read this. Joshua took over leadership with Moses. They're riding in the, at the precipice of entering into the promised land. But there's a river in front of them. Known as the Jordan River. In order to show Israel that God is still with them. He did a miracle. He shut off the waters upstream in the Jordan and it went dry as the priests walked with the Ark of the Covenant, that amazing box of the presence of God. As they touched the water, the water was cut off and the nation walked through on dry land. That's where we pick up the story. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people. One from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning and the way, Lord, in which we get a chance to walk through history with you. To see what you have done and perhaps, Lord, you will do the same in our generation. We ask that you would increase our faith. We ask that you would show us yourself that we might worship you rightly. We pray, Lord, that our time would not be wasted, but as we sit at your feet, we would be changed by your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, how many people are we talking about? Talking about, what, about two million. How do we know that? Well, there's a book in the Bible that helps you organize some of these numbers. It's called Numbers. (laughs) Right? Well, that's pretty helpful, isn't it? Now, in the book of Numbers, they took a census of the nation of Israel. And it began to, I I actually went through with a calculator. It talked about all the fighting men from each area. That was men that were 20 years and older. And it only counted the men. On the calculator, I got 601,730. So we got 600,000 fighting men from the various tribes. That does not count the 23,000 Levites that don't fight. It does not count the women. So let's multiply that times two because for every guy there's a woman because men and women are about 50% of the nation. We're now at a million two. That does not count kids or anyone under the age of 18. How many of those are there? Well, we can easily fill out the rest of them. So we're easily talking about Just over 2 million people. So as he's moving these people through, some of them are going to stay on this side of the river. The rest of them are going to move on through. So as they go walking by, it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, I want you to choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. 
Now, how many tribes are there? Twelve. Why just choose one? Because we're not having everybody pick up a rock. Okay? We're picking one as a representative. The idea of representation is big in the Bible. That's not something that we're very good with in America today. We like the whole idea that I'm me, you don't know me, I don't want you to represent me, because you don't represent my particular issues, everyone's individual, and we really have this individual idea. Unfortunately, God doesn't operate only on that premise. He also operates with group identities. For example, you are representatives of your family, you are representatives of Bridgeway. How do I know that? Because I end up hearing what you're like when you're out in society. I end up hearing back, oh, I met a member of your congregation. Man, they were really a jerk. And I'm like, what'd you say? Because what happens is you end up treating other people badly, and then along the way you get your act together, and then someone says, hey, what church do you go to? And you think it's a time to witness, so you say, hey, I go to Bridgeway. You want to go? And they go back through their mind and realize, wait a second, you treated me poorly. And you go to Bridgeway, and they associate the two. You cannot completely cut off from all your corporate identities. You are a representative of us. In the same way, God said to Joshua, I want you to pull representatives from each one of the families, each one of the tribes. Thinking of tribes sounds weird to us, but just think large group of people or families. Pick one from each one, have them go here, and I want them to pick up a rock, a large size rock. Right. Uh, I was reading one commentary and it was likely that they were maybe even uh, everything from it could be eight pounds to 20 pounds per rock. I want you to pick those things up. I want you to put it on your shoulder. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priest stood and carry them over with you and put them down in the place where you're going to stay tonight. That's eight miles away. So they're going to pick up this enormous rock, whoever that is. They're going to put it on their shoulder and carry it for eight miles, right? Why? Because it's that important. They're probably thinking at this moment that they can go back in their minds and they think they know what he's doing. They're not quite sure, so it probably looks pretty silly. Why exactly am I carrying an enormous rock for eight miles? And why do I have to do it? You know what? I think they would probably be pretty honored to be representatives of their entire tribe. Do we carry any pride in being representatives of our church? Do we take any joy in being representatives of our families? I would hope so. It says, So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, I want you to go over before, that means in front of, the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. He said, I want those guys to go get the rock and I want you to go right next to the ark of the covenant in the middle of the river that has now stopped moving. Go stand next to the priest and grab a rock. Why is that a big deal? Anybody remember last week? How much distance are you supposed to have between you and the ark of the Lord? A thousand yards. Remember that? Ten football fields. You're supposed to be away. Yet now he says, all right, you, 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 and you. Calls out 12. Says, I want you to walk right in the middle of a dried up river. We have no idea if the water's going to come back. I want you to go in there. I want you to pick up a rock and go right next to the Ark of the Covenant. That's wild. Here's something that was intriguing to me as I considered that. In general, 
Men should fear God. They should stay back because God is so powerful and mighty. But once he has said it is okay and has provided a way for them to get near him, it's not only okay, but it's expected that you do come near. For example, we take it for granted in this day and age, because of Jesus dying on the cross, he made it acceptable for us to come near. Now the God who in the past people said, don't even let God talk to us. If he talks to us, we'll die. Now we call out Abba Father and we call him Daddy and we get near him and there's no fear of punishment. That's amazing. So now when he said it was okay, these guys get to go right up near the ark, probably a little nervous. And they reach down and they grab the rock, probably hightail it out of there, right? Put it up on their shoulder. It says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Okay, let's talk about what they're going to use the stones for. Joshua is going to put them into a memorial, stack them up into a pile, perhaps fuse them into some little type altar thing. Now, is that specific to the Jews? Are the Jews the only people that have used rock monuments to symbolize stuff? No, it's been in almost every major civilization in the world. Think about Easter Island. Everybody have a picture of that one? Those big, huge statues that look like faces, long faces that are facing out into the ocean. Nobody quite knows why they're there. Stonehenge. Same idea. No one quite knows why it's there. Everyone has a bunch of guesses. But something significant happened at that location. So all over different civilizations, the Egyptians had their obelisks. There was all different kinds of ways that they would mark their areas, but they marked significant events with monuments. Why? Because mankind always forgets. It's supposed to draw their attention and force a question. We're still talking about Stonehenge. We're still talking about Easter Island. It's supposed to cause a question. Hey, what's that huge rock pile for? That's it. He said, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them. It doesn't say, repeat to them, go look it up. I don't know. You tell him. Well, Lance, I don't know. Go figure it out. Now, I have the prestigious title in my family of trivia guy. All right? In my family, the kids know not to ask mom silly, useless trivia questions. Those all come to me. All right? Mom takes care of important things like life and death. However, I can share with you information about television shows. I can do voices of characters, things like that. Important stuff like that. So when I drive around with the kids, they're always asking me questions. And it's like right when we start, Dad, why does this happen? Dad, why does this happen? What about this? What about this? What about this? And we go through and all I do is just fire answers at them. Now, every once in a while, I'll go, you know what? I have no idea. But I have to go back and find out why and help them out. You know, the other day, and this will sound really, really weird to you, because I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. The other day, we're driving through, and we got on the subject of drugs, right? They wanted to know how you buy them, where you buy them. I'm like, hey, you're five. The heck are you doing, right? And I had to explain how they're made. I explained where they come from, why they're, why sometimes all of a sudden people say that, well, doctors can prescribe drugs, 
but you're not supposed to do drugs. And I had to sit there and explain all these things backward and forward in a manner that a five and a nine year old could understand. Well, a lot of people go, well, why are you doing that? They don't need to know all that information. Hold on. If I shut them down every time they ask a question, why should they ever ask a question? No, my job is to help them through that. There are certain things, very few that I'll go, you know what? That's a mommy and daddy issue. Or if we're talking about something, they don't need to go there because it would cause them anxiety or would or really mess with their heads. But in general, I teach my children to ask questions because brilliant people ask questions. That's how it works. So I always train them to do that. And I'm trying to get good, healthy dialogue. I want them to come ask their father not to always have to go to the Internet. You understand what I'm saying? So along the way, they set up these stone monuments so the kids would go, hey, mom, dad, what's that all about? Tell them. Tell them about your God. Tell them about your faith. Tell them about why we're going to church. Tell them what they're dying to know. And if you don't know, go figure it out. If you always tell them to go somewhere else to get their answers, they will eventually clip you out of any possible future questioning. If you want to continue to be an influence in their lives, do your best to help talk it out with them. I know you don't know all the answers. You're not supposed to because you can also model for them what it means to say, I don't know. That's healthy, too. It says in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. What was the purpose in cutting off a river? I don't think it was absolutely necessary just to cross, although it might have been. I think there was more to it than that. Don't you think that when God messes with stuff like rivers, he's showing the world that even nature bows down to him? Would you agree? What do you think the story was all about when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves? Remember, the disciples said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? That means he is the God of all creation as well. Well, that made the enemies very, very nervous. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them, verse 8, and they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Now, verse 9 is super confusing. I want you to look at it real quick with me. Most of you are reading along with me in the NIV. That's the Bible version that we use around here. This time, the NIV really let us down. What it says in the NIV is Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they're there to this day. That's not very clear. A better translation is, and you'll notice in the NIV side notes, it will tell you that another way to look at it is, and Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood. And it's there to this day. Okay, most likely issue of what happened? There's two piles. Two piles of stones. One, they grabbed out from where the Ark of the Covenant was, take it out to your next camp, set it down, set up a memorial. Grab the other rocks from the side of the bank Grab those, Joshua said, and bring them into the middle and set up a memorial, memorial right here in the middle of the river. 
Why did he do that? There's no explanation of why. Maybe Joshua just said, you know what? A miracle happened here. And I never want anyone to forget it. No, they can't see it under the raging waters. But God knows. God knows something happened here. I never want him to keep his eyes off me. Now, we know God doesn't. But back then, they weren't so sure. So they put up two memorials. One before God in the river. One where they were headed. As almost a covenant sign between them and God. It says, they are there to this day. Here's what I think the, the main message is through all these rocks and moving stuff around. We've got to set up visible representations of events in our lives so that we can remember God. Let me give you a, an example. Some of you are journaling folk. You like to journal. I, I don't do that, right? Why? Largely because I'm not organized enough, okay? And to sit down anywhere for any length of time on that is tough for me. But some of you express deeply through journaling. You write the date on the top and talk out what's going on in your life. That means if God moves in your life, you pour all that passion and the reality onto a page with a date. Later, when you want to reflect back on does God move in my life, you can turn to a literal page and read God answered my prayers. Do you know how powerful that is? Now, in this day and age, we're going to no paper, no nothing tangible. Everything's online, shooting through airwaves. I still think human beings need visual representations in front of them at times. For example, post-it notes. Yeah? I love post-it notes. They're the salvation of all mankind. No, not really. I stick those things everywhere, right? They're little short reminders of something I can't forget. So if my wife says, hey, grab milk on the way home, I need a physical post-it note, stick it somewhere where I can see it, so that when I'm driving home in my busyness, I can look down and there's a visual reminder in front of me. In the same way, we need something in our lives to remember if God did something important. For many of us, we have a visual representation in our children. God did a miracle by bringing us a child, and there they are in front of us. Sometimes we hang visual pictures on the wall, right, of our kids. As a reminder, something significant happened in other events, such as a wedding. Are we not given visual, legitimate, concrete representations? That's my ring. This is my wedding ring. What it does is it doesn't stand for what it's worth. It stands for what it means. So everywhere I go, I travel around with a visual representation on my hand that all my decisions impact someone else. Right? I'm constantly reminded that there's a much more significant event that occurred. At one date and time, in my case, 15 years ago, on January 7th, something happened significant in my life do we have any of those for God I know some people that celebrate every year the day they got saved they know the day it was and they call it their spiritual birthday we do visible representations on Christmas for Jesus that's good we do it on Easter for Jesus that's good but is there anything to you personally the Jews were very big 
on visuals, festivals, stuff to make you remember. When you'd walk into your house, there was a mezuzah on the door that would talk about the law of God and they would kiss it as they walked through the threshold into their house. Visual representation. Do you have anything around your life that is constantly reminding you of God? A Bible on your desk. Something in your car. If we don't, I just fear that we'll forget. Now, the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, verse 11, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. All right, who are these guys? Remember, there's 12 tribes. Two and a half tribes had settled land on the side of the Jordan they just came from. So why are they going over? Because... Moses said, we all fought as a family to get your territory. Now you need to help us get our territory. So they needed to send over their fighting men. That meant men that were 20 years and older and in good health to fight. So how many went? Well, remember the census I mentioned? There's 110 of them. How many went? Look at verse uh, 13. About 40,000 armed for battle, crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That's less than half. Why did less than half go? Because just because you took a territory doesn't mean you get to keep it. So the other half stayed home and protected the territory. Okay, If you take all your fighting men away, that's not too wise. So they left them. Those guys that went were representatives of their nation. 40,000 of them would go on a long journey throughout the promised land to help their brothers and sisters get their land. That's called doing things for others. It's called servanthood. Verse 14, that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, meaning by doing the miracle, and they revered him all the days of his life just as they had revered Moses. Did they revere Moses? Ah, sometimes. Well, same thing with Joshua. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And the priest came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Pretty cool that the priests with God were the first ones in and the last ones out. That's what leadership does. That's what servant leadership does. You do the things that are necessary to protect the flock. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. That was the miracle. On the tenth day of the first month, that's a famous day. In our calendar, it's March-April. In the Jewish calendar, it used to be called Abib. It's now called Nisan. But the first day of the 10th month is a very special day. How do we know that day? It's the day that the Passover lamb is selected to be slain. On that very special day, they step foot on the promised land. Forty years prior, God said, we can do this, and they panicked. Forty years later, they did it. And they walked in the promised land. God is faithful to his promises, and if you're not, he'll wait you out. 
right? Oh, because we're going to get it done. We're getting in the promised land. It's just whether or not you want to go with me now or later, God says. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan about eight miles and camped at a city called Gilgal, which means circle, on the eastern border of Jericho. They're two miles away from Jericho, what they're going to attack next. That's the first big battle they're going to have in the promised land. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. This will become the center of operations for his battle conquest. This is a very famous city. This is where the first king of Israel was crowned. Who's the first king of Israel? Saul. He was crowned at this exact same location. It says, he said to the Israelites... Excuse me, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea when he dried up, dried it up before us when we had crossed over. Two things come to mind. Number one, please tell your children that God is real and he's still watching over you and that all the miracles are not in the past. Number two, do you have any stones of remembrance that will start conversations with your coworkers? Do you have anything that's going to start conversations with your friends? Is there anything visible Christian about you? give you a quick scenario on how this happened recently in our lives uh the other night jillian my oldest one had two friends over for a play date so they were hanging out and they were outside playing and jumping on the trampoline and doing all kinds of stuff well then they came in they were staying for dinner so as we're cooking dinner the little girls sat up and they got ready to eat and susie goes hold on hold on we got to pray for the food so we all sat down and susie prayed over the meal and we opened up our eyes and we said, all right. And then the, for the rest of the evening, we just talked about silly stuff. I was being inappropriate. I was saying things that were making them giggle. They thought I was cool. Susie was trying to keep control, right? And we had a fun night. We were talking about our day and what's going on at school and everything else. And well, the next morning, Susie got a call from one of the daughters. I mean, one of the girl's moms, who's a friend of hers. And she said, hey, Susie, not only did my daughter say that was the best meal she's ever had, no offense, mom, she said, but she said, it was really cool that family prays together before they eat. Can we do that at home? Well, that mom had wanted to pray over dinner time for a long time, but it never caught on with the family. But, you know, now there's two, right? Now there's a mom and a daughter that want to pray for their food. Maybe that might change it. The point is, we did not pray just so we could witness to the girls. It's just what we always do. But it was a visible representation that allowed the girls to go, that's different than my household. Can we do that too? Is there anything like that in your life? Where maybe someone would notice that you didn't bring a Bible and set it on your desk just to start conversation, but it's because you bring your Bible most places anyway. Right? We finish up with this. It says, he did all of this, verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful 
and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Clearly, God tells the enemy what he's like. But here's the challenge I have for us. We must do a better job training our children to do kingdom work. We must do a better job, a more organized job of integrating God into the lives of our children. We do it haphazardly. We do it with the hopes that someone else is going to teach our children. As parents, you are the primary instructor of godly things. It does not mean you shove it down their throat. It does not mean that you press it onto them to where they begin to hate or resist God. But what it does mean is that you naturally share who you are with them. You answer their questions. You talk about your concerns. You're open with them. You demonstrate a real Christianity. So they can grow up healthy, asking questions, trying to sort things out. This is what we must do, because we're just not doing it well. Do we have a wonderful kids program here that kind of saves a lot of our bacon? Yeah. Yeah, we do. But that should be supplemental to what is occurring at home. Do you have a plan to continually train your children in healthy things of the Lord? And you go, hey, my kids are grown and gone. Oh, so you think you're done? First of all, they will move back in with you. (laughs) Secondly, you're not done till you're gone. Because I'll tell you this. What you do when they're adults dramatically still matters. Because what they're doing is they're watching for a role modeling of what they will do at that stage. So just because they're out of the house doesn't mean they're not looking back. They're still watching you. You still have influence. You still have the ability to build your children no matter how old they get. Let's train them up in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for an amazing opportunity to lift up children to you, to be able to spend time with you, to read your word, to worship your name, that, Father, it was a full hour and a half, a time when we can sit back and soak in you, a time when we can be challenged to now leave in your power and make a difference in the world, to actually do something with what we learned. God, make us servants in our hearts, make us servants on an outside viewpoint. Allow us to live as you would want us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.